morning, everybody. Um, I'm Louisa. Are we all awake? I'm, I'm still a bit intimidated by that video opening. Um, so today, I'm going to talk to you about designing invisibility, uh, which might not be the most intuitive thing to talk about. But uh, before I jump into what I mean by that, I thought I'd start with a little bit about my context, what we do at Fjord. What we do is service design. And whether you've heard the term or not, um, you might still not be entirely clear on what it means. So I like this analogy. Think about a service that we all know, the postal service. Pretty much anywhere you live in the world, you've got one of these or something that resembles it. And it's got lots of different touch points. There's the box on the street that you put things into, the little pieces of paper that you put on the things that you put in the box. There's the guy that comes to your house. There's the office you can go to to ship big boxes and things. Um, somehow, we all know which bits of it we need to use to get done what we need to get done. And we're comfortable with it. But we never think about all the stuff that happens behind the scenes. That's where the real magic is, right? The sorting machines and the logistics and the trucks and the planes and the magical elves and God knows what that gets things from point A to point B. And we don't think about this stuff because we don't have to. It just works. And that's what we try to do in the digital world is make things that just work. So, digital, that word, it's come a long way, and that seems to be obvious to everyone in this room, I'm sure, but I'm not sure we're always aware of how far it's actually come. So if you just think about some really basic services, it used to be that digital was kind of an optional add-on. Those of us that were into technology or comfortable with it could, for instance, do banking online. We've been able to for a long time. Um, but now, there are no tellers in lots of bank branches anymore. All there are are machines and online. If you in, in most of the places where I've lived in the last 10 years, if you want a paper bill for your utilities, you need to pay more. You have to manage it online. In London now, um, buying paper tickets or buying, paying in cash for a journey on Transport for London costs you about twice as much as it does if you use the Oyster card. Um, what that means is that everybody at some point has to engage with the digital world now. There's, it's not an optional extra anymore. Now it's a necessity. It's a, it's a core part of our lives. And that's because it's also a core part of business. So because, because of efficiency, because of cost control, because of speed of service, businesses have more and more adopted digital and brought it into the core of their business. What that means for us as designers is that we're no longer just dealing with one department. We're no longer kind of an add-on to the outside of the business. We have to deal with the whole thing in order to help them figure out how to get this stuff to market. And as we all know, even the most beautiful design in the world is completely useless if it never makes it out into the world. So, over the years, we've learned a few things. And uh, I've had the good fortune to, over the last couple of months at Fjord, um, kind of redesign how we do stuff, or how we, how we organize ourselves, how we think about what we deliver. And you'll notice experience design is now only one wedge of this big pie. Um, there's a lot of traditional disciplines in here. There's experience design, there's human insights, there's all kinds of stuff that we are familiar with. But there's also stuff that we never used to do as designers, or we never used to think of ourselves as being responsible for or engaged with. Content strategy and commercial models and product management and, oh my God, um, all of this businessy stuff. But the reality is our clients need help with that as well. And applying design thinking to these things can help get things to market in a way that actually works for humans. So now that we've all done, so that we've done all of this, it's all changing again, of course. 
Um, and this time, this is the driver. So roughly, as of the last numbers, 2.3 million connected people in the world and roughly 5 billion connected objects. That's a lot. Um, that's growing every day. So what that means is as more and more people have more and more objects that make more and more data, it's more and more difficult to extract meaning from that. And yet there's a lot more data that's relevant to me, to you, to every individual. So what do we do about that? As designers, usually our, our response is to make interfaces. Data visualizations. Beautiful, beautiful data visualizations. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day about how uh, data vis is sometimes like uh, Rorschach ink blots. You can kind of see anything in it. And that's the beauty of them and also the challenge of them. So looking at these things, they're beautiful. They might convey some impression of the intricacy of the data set, but what they don't do is put front and center what's valuable to me. I, I still have to work quite hard to interpret these things. The other thing that we're finding ourselves having to do is making all these control panels. These are essentially twiddly knobs and levers that we expect people to use to manage all of these data input devices, data output devices. And I worry about how sustainable this is because how much attention does the average human being have to give to this kind of stuff? I, I think if we keep on making more interfaces to give people control over all of this stuff that none of us really understand particularly well, it's not going to work for very much longer. And that led me to think about this, uh, about this concept of invisibility. And um, I've been saying for a long time that great design is invisible. And what I've always meant by that is that if we do our jobs really well, then no one will know that we were there because it just works, like the Postal Service, right? Um, now I'm starting to think that maybe we need to be more conscious about this. We need to think about not what sorts of artifacts we can create and put into the world, useful or beautiful or not, but rather what kinds of things we can take away, what's unnecessary. And this kind of begs the bigger question of what design is really about. There's, there's a school of thought that says design is the bastard child of the art world and we should all just shut up and get back in our corners and make pretty things. And uh, sure, that's one point of view. The other side of the coin says that, or the other extreme, says that we don't need economists anymore, we've got designers. We don't need policymakers anymore, we've got designers. Um, I kind of don't agree with either of those things. I think, uh, I think that what design is really about is translation, if you like, or facilitation, solving problems. There's all this abstract stuff in the world, all this stuff that people need to do, and what design is about is coming up with ways to enable people to do those things things they love, things they need, etc. So you don't always need an interface to translate an idea. Um, and I'm going to show you a few examples of non-interfaces, I suppose, and then a few that are actually different kinds of interfaces. So um, this is grab magic. I had the video, but I'm not going to show it because I don't have all that much time. If you guys want to see it, come find me afterwards or tweet me and I'll send you a link. Um, Grab Magic was created by uh, my friend Aral Balkan um, at the MIP TV Hack Day in April. What this is, you can see uh, on the screen behind me, on the right-hand side is a screen on which he is watching a movie, a video. Um, and you see the green band around the screen. That means the connect is connected to him, recognizing him, 3D camera. On the left, you've got a shot of his iPhone screen. What Grab Magic does is Aral, watching a video, grabs a frame from the video, holds it in his hand, 
and puts it on his iPhone. And then it's there. Um, what can you do with that still? Well, you can tweet it, you can share it, you can send it, you can save it. Um, but what this is, is the beginning of something that nobody's thought of before. I don't understand why we've never thought of this before. Why do you need an interface to say, I want this thing? So that's one example. Uh, Mishu. Mishu make jewelry based on geography. I think this is genius. So these are cufflinks that, are all of the, that, that represent a map of all of the places where Eric has lived in San Francisco. You could have a pendant made of the vacation that you took in Southeast Asia, um, or of your honeymoon, or, I don't know, of a pub crawl that you did last weekend with your friends. Um, the idea here is that the, the, the object is a manifestation of the data of where you've been. It's a really complicated way of saying it's a memory of stuff that you don't have to have an interface to interact with. Um, I particularly like this one. So CNA, a uh, big clothing chain, in Sao Paulo, in Brazil, they have, they have created these. So what these are are hangers for individual items of clothing that tell you if you are incapable of making your own decisions about what you want to buy, how many people have liked that item on Facebook. Um, personally, I don't tend to shop based on what Facebook says, but this is another example of no interface, no screen, don't have to pull my phone out of my pocket and scan a barcode to see what people think of this thing. It's just there, front and center, manifest in the world. Um, this, Vodafone 360, is uh, an interface and, and not a particularly new one at that, but I think it's cool because it does something for me without me having to engage with it. Um, what this does is it learns who I'm in contact with the most, who I speak to the most, who I text the most, etc. And when I turn on the phone, this is what I see. I see the people that are closest to me and predicated on the idea that your phone is primarily a communication device, this makes a lot of sense. It's a really nice little passive thing that pushes things that are relevant to me without me having to beg and without me having to set any settings. It just does it automatically. And uh, right, this one's near and dear to my heart. So Scrabble, one of my favorite games. This has been around since the first generation of the iPad and I'm amazed at how few people know about it. So you have the Scrabble board on the iPad. You can set it in the middle of the table and everybody's got their tiles on their iPhone. And you just flick the tiles from the iPhone to the iPad. Genius. So beyond that, I thought about some other things that would be cool. These are things that I would like to have. So what if my mobile screen, if I pull it out right now, what if it could tell me how much time I have before my next appointment? Because it knows where I am. It knows that I'm walking instead of in a car. It knows where I need to be for my next appointment. Why can't it tell me how much time I've got to kill before I've got to dash? Uh, without me having to look up the calendar, do the math, go to the map, etc. What if, while I was listening to music, walking through a city somewhere, walking through Rome maybe, this would be a great place to do this, um, I could get some kind of audio cue in my headphones, letting me know that there's a piece of content nearby in that location that would be interesting to me, a bit of history perhaps, or a story about the building I'm standing in front of. Or, and... I'm sure we've all had this moment. What if my devices actually knew when they were near each other? I mean, they must know. Well, they are able, able to know anyway. What if they actually did something about it that was useful to me, adjusted accordingly? Every time I open up my iPad after a couple of days, I have to sit there and dismiss like 98 meeting reminders because it doesn't know that they've been dismissed on another device. It makes me crazy. These little things would make such a big difference. So 
when, when I, it's all well and good for me to talk about all of these new things that we want to do, but how are we going to do them? Right? You saw the skills wheel from before, all the new stuff that we're doing that we didn't used to do or didn't used to talk about doing. But if we're going to do gestural interfaces, we're going to need choreographers. If we're going to try to spot patterns in massive, massive data sets, we're going to need maybe quantum mathematicians. I was just talking to one a couple of months ago. If we're going to do ambient services where we, where we put content in a location just to be discovered, we're going to need sound engineers. We're probably going to need cognitive behavioral scientists. We're going to need all kinds of new skill sets in order to make these things happen. To me, that's really exciting. I can see, I, I'm looking forward to working with people like this in the next couple of years. Because I think we should never, ever be able to new stuff as designers. Because what we are supposed to be doing is making these connections with human beings. And, and really, that's what it's all about. It's all about this feeling of joy, this feeling of happiness, this feeling of ease. And uh, I think we do well to remember that. That's all I've got. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.